Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Joyful Courage Podcast, a place for information and inspiration on the conscious parenting journey. I am Casey O'Rourke, positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and honored to be your guide in the work of showing up as your best for yourself and your family. If you feel as though parenting is one long personal growth and development workshop, you have come to the right place. The conversations you will hear on this podcast are all intended to offer you tools for moving forward, for expanding your lens, for shifting your narrative to one of possibility, connection, and empowerment. You can be the parent you want to be. We are influencing the world with how we raise our children. When we bring deep listening, acceptance, and courage to our relationships, we are doing our part to evoke it in the world. I am thrilled to partner with you on this path. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, podcast listeners. My guest today is Danielle Slaughter. Danielle is an academic turned mommy. She has a bachelor's of arts from the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, and a master of arts in English from Georgia State University with a doctoral background in English, focusing on rhetoric and composition. Danielle likes to call herself and mothers like her Momademics. Momademics is a merging of her two careers, motherhood and academia. She lives in Atlanta with her husband and two sons, where she runs both of her businesses, Momademics and Raising an Advocate. Danielle is an award-winning blogger as well as award-winning for her composition work. She is a 2015 recipient of Type A Parents We Still Blog Award, a 2016 recipient of the Conference on College Composition and Communication Scholar for the Dream Award, and a Blogger Voice of the Year winner for 2016 and 2017, as well as a two-time nominee for an Iris Award for Most Engaging Content. I found Danielle this past spring when I was searching for the voices of people of color in the parenting world. If you listened to episode 142, you know that I made a pledge to search out a variety of voices and personalities to come and be on the show. Danielle does really important work. I recently completed a course she offers called Raising an Advocate. Danielle has written a lot about the role white women play in raising social justice advocates, as well as the power that white women also have to get in the way of social justice. Hi, Danielle. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Casey. Thank you for having me. Will you please share a little bit more about your journey of doing what you do? Um, so I, like you said, I am a academic turned mom or a momademic. Mm-hmm. Um, I started momademics as just a blog to kind of get out the struggles I was having, trying to navigate both worlds mm-hmm. because I didn't feel like there were a lot of um, books out there for me to help me with my specific needs. And then it became that there weren't many moms who look like me who are also in academia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then I quickly started to write about the role that academia was playing and how I'm starting to parent. And parenting a child from that sphere looks very different, at least in my opinion, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and slowly I navigated my way into writing about social justice, which was never really part of my plan. It just sort of happened. 
Um, I got really, really upset and angry after watching what was happening in Ferguson. Mm -hmm. And I just wrote a blog and it was called Why White Moms Need to Care About Murdered Black Children. And my blog exploded. Literally, mm -hmm. like It just exploded. And all these moms, um, I mean, people were really mean, but there were also people who were amazing and who just were like, well, what can we do? Please just tell me what to do. Um, and at the time I was still teaching English classes at Georgia State and I kind of started talking to my students about it a little bit and they were like, you totally could teach a class about that. And I was like, what? No, I couldn't. And they said, you teach us this all the time. Mm -hmm. And I started to think about what would that look like if my students' parents had taught them about this from the beginning? Like, mm -hmm. what if they understood what privilege was before they were 18 and it became a class? And this journey just keeps spiraling. So much going on now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's such, it's so important. I mean, it's so important. And just to set context, I am a middle class white woman married to a white man, raising a white son and daughter. And this podcast and my parents support business serves primarily white parents and families. Not, I don't think, because that's who I'm seeking out. It's just... And again, and we're going to talk about like where our blindness lies and all that mm -hmm. stuff. And I know that there is some diversity in my audience, but it's definitely not an audience that's necessarily representative of the population. I know that I have implicit bias. And while I recognize my privilege, there are so many places in my life, I am sure that I'm not registering my privilege because it's just the world that I've come to live in, right? And mm -hmm. so- we we don't know what we don't know. And I'm so longing and my listeners, especially, you know, this past spring, I'm longing to learn and grow and expand. And I'm willing to be uncomfortable and I'm willing to be transparent and say that I really want you to like me. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to tell me good job, Casey, which is probably like residual privilege stuff. So let's start first with implicit bias. So when I went through your course, I... Part of your course each week starts with this page of resources. And so I started watching some YouTube videos and then I was I was also cooking. And so the YouTube videos just kind of kept going and going mm -hmm. and going. And the first, I noticed a lot of really interesting things, both about the videos and about the comments to the videos that we can talk about or not. But don't just, read the comments. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, and the difference you between- I turned the comments off I lot. did notice that. Um, <laughs> I don't blame you. But I did notice that the comments when the speaker was a person of color looked a lot different than when it was a, a white person speaking about implicit bias in particular. But we're not going to go down that rabbit hole right now. So let's talk about, but let's talk about what implicit bias is. Um, because like I said, while I recognize my privilege, there's so many places that- I don't know where my implicit biases are. And so mm -hmm. can you start by defining implicit bias and put it into context for us? Okay. So implicit bias is these unconscious attitudes that we have towards people or stereotypes of people. Mm -hmm. And they can be based on uh, one personal experience you've had or they can be based on a lack of experience. So mm -hmm. it might be solely based on what you see on television. If you do not um, have a diverse group of friends or you don't grow up in a very diverse community, we learn from media mm -hmm. pretty much. Yep. And so that's, we create these like 
subconscious things and we decide that this is how all people who look like this particular um, person is. Mm -hmm. And for me, for an example of an implicit bias that I have is that I have a, a huge fear of white men and just mm -hmm. regular looking white men. And it's partially not only from like his, a historical background, but it's also because I watch a lot of law, law and order SVU. <laughs> and so when I was in college an undergrad that actually came up in a class and, you know, the girls in our, the white girls in our class mentioned that they were afraid of some of, you know, they don't mean to jump when they see a black back black basketball or football player. Um, and I mentioned, well, at night when I walk home from the library, I'm like hoping that I see one of the <laughs> black football players and not just a white man. And they're mm -hmm. like, why? And I said, because all the rapists on Law and Order are white men. And it was just like that first moment that they realized that I could have some type of subconscious bias towards them. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really kind of what we've learned and what we've engaged in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, in one of the videos that I watched, I don't know if it came from your suggestion or if it was one of the ones that just showed up as I kept watching, was a woman who, a white woman who was talking about, you know, who works for women in leadership and recognizing her bias is mm -hmm. towards women in, in leadership. And it was like, it was really cool because it was one, on one hand, just like you just did, she was really transparent you know, and she was really honest about, I didn't realize that I had this bias until I was, she works in HR and she had two different people in one week ask for a pay raise and one was a man and one was a woman. And she got the opportunity to observe her own internal response to mm -hmm. those two different requests. And it was really, it, it starts to become really fascinating. Well, it is, I think it's really fascinating to start to really pay attention. And it's very uncomfortable too. It's uncomfortable. So we get to be uncomfortable, everyone, okay? To recognize like, oh yeah, that is absolutely something that shows up for me. How is implicit bias related to privilege? So they kind of work hand in hand. So you have these unearned privileges that you don't really think about just like you don't really think about your implicit bias, but it's also because you don't understand the role that privilege has played in your life. Mm -hmm. So if you've never had to consider the fact that your whiteness or for a man that their maleness has helped them succeed in a way, mm -hmm. um, you don't think about the factors that will play a role for someone who to not succeed or who isn't as I don't want to say they're not as successful, but they haven't been given the same opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so that um, you're less aware of the ways that implicit bias factor into your daily life. When I think about that privilege conversation, you know, I think about that privilege conversation and I, you know, and I've seen this and heard this in the world, like that conversation of, are you kidding me? I was you know, I was raised in poverty. I was this, this, my mm -hmm. life was hard. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's so interesting. We often put privilege with like how much money you make or, or, or have exposure to. And Peggy McIntosh, which is one of the resources that you mentioned, she's also, when I went through elementary education school, I'm a former teacher. That was the first time I read anything by Peggy McIntosh. And there's this amazing article. Is it the unpacking the white backpack 
or what is the name? I can't think of the think something about the I backpack. Know. Yeah, <laughs> but it I may be call it the privileged backpack, but I know that's not the name of it. Yeah, it has to do with a backpack. Listeners, I'll find it and I'll put a link in the show notes. But reading that and recognizing that privilege is also the fact that you know when I go to the movies, chances are the majority of the actors in the movies that I'm watching are white. Mm-hmm. Or when I pick up a magazine, you know, popular culture magazine, the majority of the people and the faces that I see are white. They look like me. And it never occurred to me that that is a part of this privilege, is seeing mm-hmm. ourselves. And now that I'm aware of it, I get really irritated by, you know, the even just my family is like, okay. But I'm like, look, this is, look at this movie that this preview, there's like a group of six main characters, four are white. There's the, you know, there's the black character and there's the Asian character. And it's like, now it just, it's like, come on, we can do better than that. Like than the mm-hmm. token, like, oh, look, we're, we're changing it up. We're diversifying. And it's now that, you know, once I think we expand our lenses, it starts to become really frustrating and slow. Like it just feels like change, perspective, all of it is really slow. And I can't even imagine how slow it feels for people of color. Yeah, it's it's a tangled web, so to speak, yeah. because just because I, like I tell people this all the time, just because I'm a black woman, it doesn't mean that I don't have privilege. Right. We all have some form of privilege and it doesn't matter like how disenfranchised you are. What matters is how the different, um, your different identities kind of intersect. And that's actually something that I, a class that I'm working on right now. But so sometimes your identities will intersect in a way that just makes it really, really hard for you to climb this so to to pull yourself up by the bootstraps Mm -hmm. and the way I like to explain this or I used to explain this to my students was we would have like four babies Mm -hmm. and so these four babies were all born on the same exact day so they're you know they're the same age and baby a would be born into a family that was This podcast is sponsored by Factor. Are you old enough to remember TV dinners? They came in those tin trays and each part of the meal had its own little compartment. I remember eating those and watching Happy Days, followed by Three's Company, maybe a little Laverne and Shirley. I am that old. Well, the situation has been totally upgraded by Factor. Factor makes delicious, ready-to-eat meals. And unlike those quick meals of the past, every Meal from Factor is fresh, never frozen, chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including meals that are calorie smart, protein plus, and keto if that's your thing. Also, there's more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. In my last order, we got red chicken chili tamale bowls and Italian sausage pizza casserole, as well as other delicious meals that my family loved. Plus there's breakfast and smoothies and all sorts of other add-ons to make life simpler while also keeping it healthy. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. They've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. 
Right now, head to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use code joyful50 to get 50% off. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50 to get 50% off. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I would call them one percenters. So they're mm-hmm. super well off. You know, that's baby A. And then baby B would be born. You know, I give them like different identities. And mm-hmm. what would happen is there's off these babies end up at the same place. So they're all at the same college. But baby D is on full scholarship. An academic scholarship and working really hard and has no one to help her and she's this is a, the black baby black mm-hmm. or black girl and then there'd be like a white you know I just kind of intersect all these identities for them and they'd sit there and they'd go oh my gosh yeah like, it was so much harder for her so and they had to create like a scenario of how did baby D get to this to this point? So they're all at the same point, but mm-hmm. how did baby D get there? And how is baby D going to survive? Because baby D did not have every, you know, doesn't have the support system that baby A has. Mm-hmm. And babies B and C are somewhere in the middle. So it's this kind of seeing the details of how hard it can be for someone and then realizing, well, what can I do to help those people? Yeah. And I think that's a really big piece, right? That what can I do? Because I was absolutely born into loads of privilege Mm -hmm. and recognize that and have, and interestingly enough, have always been uh, uncomfortable by it. Like, you know, I grew up in Laguna Beach, California, and there were three homeless guys that lived in town, Clifford and Miles and another guy. I actually wrote my senior essay all about Miles and, um, because I befriended them. And, and, you know, the question was always what I did, I did nothing to end up in the family that I ended up in. And it, so it's just always kind of been like this peripheral discomfort, you know, as well as the blind parts too. But this is for me, I, you know, you're, and for many others, your work is so important. And, and I'm so glad that I found you because you have, been a part of of expanding the lens that I see the world out of. And I really wanted my audience to hear from you. 
Hey, everybody, just showing up to check in and invite you to pause for a moment. Pause for a moment and consider what the content you are listening to is worth to you. Consider what kind of listener you are. You listen to the show every week. You're moved into action by what you hear. You find yourself saying, yes, someone gets me. I am so honored to create this podcast for you. I am also really thrilled to let you know that there is a way for you to be in support of its sustainability. You can become a Joyful Courage patron. Being a patron is giving back. Patrons pledge financial support that goes directly into the production of this podcast. You can pledge $1, $5, or $10 a month, whatever works for you, and know that it is a win-win. You exchanging energy with me and making a statement about what the podcast means to you. Can I get a big hell yes? Thank you to everyone who has already become a patron. Your support is so appreciated. Everyone else, don't wait. Head over to www.patreon.com slash joyful courage and sign up to be a patron today. That's www.patreon.com slash joyful courage, all one word. Sign up today. So, so appreciate you and all the ways you support the show. And now back to the interview. Let's talk about your article about the most dangerous person in America. Okay. <laughs> Let's just go there, Danielle. Um, what inspired you to write it? I know that people are probably are not going to believe this. So I was sitting at my son's um, flag football game. And sometimes to just get myself through these sporting events, I like <laughs> have music playing in my head that might not, you know, like I just, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of people and mm -hmm. it's hot. And for some reason I had Beyonce's Lemonade album just in my head. I wasn't actually listening to it. It was in my head and mm -hmm. she has a quote in there from Malcolm X about the most disrespected woman in America being the black woman and the most unprotected mm -hmm. woman in America is the black woman. And for some reason that quote was in my head and I looked it up and it was literally the day that Malcolm X gave that speech like 50 years ago. <laughs> and it was, wow. I was like, Oh, okay. So I'm sitting here. I'm like, I need to write about this. I don't know what I, what I want to write about. Um, and the post started as me saying that I was going to write about how I'm teaching, I want to teach my sons to trust black women, no matter what, to mm -hmm. listen to us, to believe us, to fight for us. And somehow mm -hmm. it became a whole other thing. So that post has not been written yet. It just became this like, well, if we're the most unprotected woman, then who's the most protected one? And then, mm -hmm. well, who protects them? And I, it was easy to to blame. And sometimes I find like it's easy to blame everything on white men. But then I was mm -hmm. like, well, actually, who am I more afraid of than a white man? And it's a white woman. And people always are like, what? Like, yes, absolutely. 100%. I am more afraid. The dangers of being too close to a white woman or my children, mm -hmm. you know, partnering if they choose to be in a heteronormative relationship partnering with a white woman, I can just see the danger ahead so much mm -hmm. more quickly than like, I don't ever feel any danger really when my son plays with white boys, but I feel it when he plays with white girls. 
And I, and mm-hmm. it's just like, someone's going to hurt him for that. Yeah. Talk more about that. Um, there's this, this, this idea that white girls are like, they're like the ideal. This, I mean, they're the Disney princess. So if you mm-hmm. think of the ideal Disney princess, it would be Elsa mm-hmm. and they're fragile and we've been taught to, to protect them and take care of them no matter what, um, even at our own detriment at times. But for a black mother raising black sons, I have to worry about, you know, I want my sons to love whoever they want. I, I want them to right. be someone who loves them and who they'll build a wonderful family with. But when I think about what they'll go through if they choose a white partner, it's scary for me, particularly Mm. because in in the past, you know, black boys have been killed for looking at a white Mm -hmm. woman. Um, Mm -hmm. They've been imprisoned for a white girl having a consensual relationship with them and then saying, well, it wasn't consensual because their dad freaked out or um, their dad, you know, pushing for something, even if the girl is saying, you know, you know, I love this person. This is not, you know, there's so many different ways that it could end badly that it's not a road that I would want my child to go down. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting too, because I'm raising a son as well and have, it's not like the race piece isn't there. And yet some of pieces of what you're talking about are definitely on my radar. You know, how he treats girls and consent and what consent is and how to stay safe. And that's hard enough. But then on top of it, you know, a culture that, I don't know if demonizes is the right word, mm-hmm. but that a culture that, you know, isn't safe for Black boys mm-hmm. on top of just having a boy, <laughs> And knowing the boys do dumbass oh things my gosh. sometimes, oh my you know, like, it's like that is. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I wrote another post about that, about like the things that scare me about raising boys. And the, yeah, I saw it. I read that it. It's just like I every I feel like I'm always telling my son. Um, one of my friends has this great quote of, we are all in charge of our own bodies. And so I'm always telling him that, like, do you have permission to touch that person's body? Do you have permission to touch mommy's body? No, you don't. Like you have to, you know, ask for permission before you touch someone. And this, this idea of like how entitled boys are socialized to feel about people's bodies or girls' bodies, it just drives me berserk because I'm like please please don't be this boy like don't be like are you listening like are they listening to us are they still gonna do something so remotely dumb that like you can't how can I fix it I can't fix it I can't even help you fix it aside from making you take responsibility but then also just the fear of raising someone that can harm someone else Mm -hmm. simply because everyone else in society tells them that it's okay is just scary. It's very scary. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like, I even notice, um, you know, my kids listen to really explicit music Mm -hmm. and I've just had to let it go. Nothing makes me feel older than the music that my kids listen to. Um, and it's, you know, I remind Ian, my son, I say, you know, just think about what is the, what, you know, you were even talking about that Beyonce song was kind of on a loop in your head Mm -hmm. and Lemonade was on the loop in your head. And so I try to point out like, what do you want on the loop? Mm -hmm. What do you want 
you know, and, and if it's something that's really, you know, popping pills and bitches and hoes, like, do you want that on a loop in your head? Because you're out in the world and interacting with people and sometimes making instinctive choices about what you say and what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this is totally off topic, but whoa, raising boys is not easy no matter no, what, right? No, it's not. Um, so back to the article, right? Back to the article that you wrote. So the most dangerous person in America being the white woman, mm-hmm. right? So what was the response to that? The response actually was not as bad as I prepared myself for. I was so scared. You're it was brave. Not, it, it was actually more encouraging for the first time um pretty mixed so there are a few people who were like really upset about it ironically those people were not white women for the most part I had a lot of like men so it was one of the first times a men commented a lot on something I've written and of course I just wanted to be like you're proving my point you're like coming in because you have to be like save the damsel in distress um yeah so there was were a few of those going around but mostly encouraging in the fact that white women were able to see how, despite how much they feel like we, we all feel like the world has changed, that they could still, you know, be a danger. Like they could still be the person who theoretically had Emmett Till killed, you know, like they still have that mm-hmm. power. Um, even if they mm-hmm. don't use the power, you have that power and that makes you dangerous because you have the power. And so the reception was pretty, it was pretty good. I was pleasantly surprised that no one, no one called me a horrible names this time. So that's nice. (laughs) Well, that's good. Yay. Good job, everyone. And reading it, you know, I, I noticed my own response was like, well, but that's not me. Like I really quickly wanted to disassociate myself from the white women that you were talking about in your article, mm-hmm. right? As a natural, like, but that's not me. Did you find, you know, have you had, what kinds of conversations have you had with women that, you know, and, and then I'm like, is that just a typical, like, white woman? I mean, I can analyze myself till the cows come home, but, you know, it was uh, even in my response of, but that's not me. I wondered like, okay, so where, like checking my privilege, checking my bias, checking myself, right? Even Mm -hmm. in that response. So what were some of the conversations that you had with people um, who were just struggling with like, yes, and? Yes. So I kind of just let people have those moments. So what I've learned over the last few years when it comes to doing this is to let people sit with the work and let them have their feelings Mm -hmm. and let it's not like I don't always have to belabor my point. So I wrote everything. Mm-hmm. I meant what I said, you know, and also letting them have these conversations with other white women. So sometimes I'll message a friend and ask them if they have time to go over to my page and kind of fill some of the comments so that I don't feel like I'm mm-hmm. being defensive in, the, in those moments. And so it was really great to kind of see other white people just work together, especially white women kind of working together so that they could better understand how they could sit in this moment, understand what I was saying, um, but then also process their feelings. And because I think that's important for everyone to have a space to process their feelings. But I, but so the, the end, but it's not my job to help them process those feelings all the time. And so sometimes that looks like, like finding someone else who is on this journey with you, um, 
and processing those feelings together. Yeah, I appreciate that. So if I am a part of a group with that much power, that group being Mm -hmm. white women. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. What are some ways, I mean, I I have some in my head, but I would Mm -hmm. love to hear like from your perspective, what are some ways that I get to, or that you've seen women use that power for good and that power to support and to care about what's happening in all the communities, Mm -hmm. not just our own little internal bubble of our family, of our experience. Um, I always say, so so I have two things that, Oh, I can hear the baby. I have two things that tend to surprise people. Um, they, I, what the first one is to listen. Just, mm-hmm. just sometimes you just have to sit and listen, and it'll be uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. But listening and forcing other people around you to see that you're listening. And so sometimes people will comment that they're they hear me, they're reading, and that'll that's just their comment. And so it kind mm-hmm. of encourages other people to just don't try to argue back just sit and listen to the words and, and kind of absorb the material. And then the other, which seems as a contradiction is to speak up. So I don't know if you've seen that video going around about, um, the woman who called the police on people barbecuing in the park. And so there's a white woman, she calls the police on a black family who are barbecuing. And I don't know if there was a white woman who was part of their group. Like that was unclear if the white woman was married or with, one of the black men, or if she just saw what was happening. And so she saw what was happening and pretty much 
started to talk for the black people and tell like the white woman to leave them alone. And when police mm-hmm. got there, they listened. She used her privilege in that moment. She knew mm-hmm. that, you know, there's two white women. They're going to listen to both of us. But she used her power to kind of push that this, you know, that this white woman was just harassing this group of black people. And she kind of stood in between. Um, yeah. She, she kind of made a barrier and, that was a powerful moment on it's captured on video. It's a really long video, but what was going around was like, this is what we need people to do is to do that. And other smaller ways to do that within your community are um, just standing up in the PTA, making sure that people um, don't assume that parents aren't participating in the PTA because they don't care about their children. Sometimes they can't afford to participate. Um, it can be as simple as saying, well, we, so I don't know if if all schools do this, but I know schools here, you have to pass a background check to go on field trips and, um, Mm -hmm. to attend field trips for your kids, which is wonderful, but there's a fee. So every year you have to pay $50 for this. And there are a lot Mm -hmm. of parents who can't not, who can't afford it, but definitely probably can't afford the $50 plus to take off work and find a sitter. So like last year was my son's first year of kindergarten but I also had a baby four days after he started kindergarten Mm -hmm. um and I just couldn't go on field trips I told my husband I was like so we would pay this $50 background check I'd have to find a sitter for the baby because he's too young for me to take him with me and Mm -hmm. expose him to the germs um that that are going to be there and we are not living below the poverty line so I can only imagine what some of his classmates parents felt um, in terms of that. And so maybe diverting funds, talking about how we can help other parents. Maybe we just spend, raise enough money and we pay for a certain number of parents who want to volunteer. We pay for their background checks. So things like that. You are talking to the PTO president <laughs> right now, that. Danielle. I know that. <laughs> but just like things, these are like really, you know, yeah, small things that we can do that we don't necessarily think about. Um, yeah, just thinking about if your if if your kid has a an issue with a teacher and versus my kid having an issue with that same teacher, who do you think administration is going to believe? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if we go in there together and you you know you let them know, okay, my kid's having this issue, her kid's having this issue. This isn't something that's just being made up now can we get something done about about this problem and a lot of times we don't do that we only worry about our child so as a parent educator and this is what i do i i speak to parents and support and i always want to be inclusive in my language and Mm -hmm. the conversations that i'm having and the content that i create and in the spaces that i hold for conversation Mm -hmm. so i'm going to be bold and vulnerable right now and ask you if you have experienced my whiteness in a way that put you off during this conversation. No. (laughs) Can you stretch me out of my comfort zone and help me to see any, any blindness that you noticed in the conversation? Um, I'm trying to think. Hmm. And is it annoying that I'm asking you? No, it's not annoying. I think, oh, what I did, I thought about was you saying at the beginning that you wanted me to like you. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of times. That's pretty much the whole world. (laughs) Yeah. But I think a lot of times um, 
white women feel like I don't like them. And so they're naturally defensive around me or they overcompensate and not you, but just in general, it's like, you don't have Mm -hmm. to overcompensate if you're trying to be friends with a black woman and you want her to like you, or you want to diversify, you know, really, we just want you to be honest. And we want to know, like, are you really trying to be my friend or are you trying to learn something about blackness? Like I, I had this rule in college before I even ever thought that I would do type this type of social justice work was, mm-hmm. um, I <laughs> was often the only black girl in a lot of the groups. And I had this mm-hmm. rule where they just, if they had a question that pertained to me being black in some way, they needed to just ask me, like, don't beat around mm-hmm. the bush. I need you to just be very direct and ask me. And it, it has made people who don't know that uncomfortable in the past, um, mm-hmm. which <laughs> this is a hilarious story and you might want to edit this out, but <laughs> let's um, hear it. When my first son was born, one of my friends came to the hospital to see him and she's white and there's this rule, you know, we have this rule together. And so she's there with her husband. It's my first time meeting her husband. I've given like, I'd like finished going labor like a few hours before that. Um, but I, I was on that little high that sometimes Uh and my husband and my husband's friends, which who were black, (laughs) she looks at the baby and she goes, Danielle, I have a question. And I knew the moment she said she had a question (laughs) that it was one of those moments. And she goes, so I've never seen a black baby right after they're born, but is he going to get some color? Like, why does he look so white? And I like burst into laughter. Her (laughs) husband turned beet red and my, my husband's friends looked at him like, what is happening right now? But then I just like (laughs) took the baby and I showed her, I was like, well, you know, sometimes it's, it always takes black babies a while to get color. But like I showed her Uh how we could figure out, um, kind of their skin color. So like you look at their nails, like the cuticles around their nails and you kind of look at their ears and it'll give you a little idea of what their color will look like. Um, obviously Mm -hmm. once they're in the sun, you know, that can change. But in that moment, like, I think her husband like wanted to be like, Oh my God, I can't believe you were asking that. And so then I had to switch from explaining that to her and then to tell everybody like this is okay because this is how we learn from one another and she she wasn't even embarrassed because she knew that like it was going to annoy me further if she had like waited two days or if she just kind of beat around the bush trying to figure it out you know right right just to just be direct and I think that that's kind of what hinders a lot of communication when it comes to yes. different cultural or racial things is that people are always trying to worry about being, being I don't want to say being politically correct, but they're worried about like, you're not going to like me or I'm going to hurt your feelings. And if we're friends and if you're trying to build a friendship with me, then I need you to just be honest and tell me, you know, I have a question. I'm not sure if this question is appropriate. I'll tell you if it's an inappropriate question. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I feel like at some point, there was somebody that I don't know who said it or where I learned it, but there was also this, you aren't assuming that you're the voice for all black people. Like I wouldn't want to like ask questions as if like, well, you can speak for the experience of all black people because you're a black woman. Yes. Don't do that. So don't phrase it that way. (laughs) You might just, (laughs) people definitely do that. People do. And I'll have to say, so in my personal experience, things look like right. X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I often say, remember, this is not the experience for, you know, 
for everyone. Now, if it's something that's like history, history is history. So <laughs> I can provide you a book or, you know, a, a fact sheet right. for that. But when it comes to certain experiences there, you know, like there's no one white experience. So there's no mm-hmm. one black one either. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with me. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. And I have a feeling that I'm going to want you back on. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) In the context of all that we've talked about, Mm -hmm. what does joyful courage mean to you, Danielle? Okay. I'll do a little research for this one. Uh, (laughs) I have a prepared response. (laughs) It's okay. You're You're a momademic, so it's okay. (laughs) Your page says that joyful courage is about showing up grateful for the opportunity to practice being our best selves even when it is hard to do. And for me, that's exactly what the work of raising advocates looks like. Being grateful Mm -hmm. that we can do better than the generations before us while acknowledging that this work is not easy. You have to have the courage to work through your own biases and find joy in knowing that your children are learning from you. Mm, Thank you for that. Where can the listeners find you and follow your work? Okay, so I am Mama Demix everywhere pretty much um mama dynamics on facebook on instagram mm-hmm. <laughs> on twitter i need to do twitter more i'm not oh, on there as I'm often not as a, i should i'm not either um, but i'm very big so i'm all pretty much always on facebook and instagram mm-hmm. on mama dynamics and then my website is mama dynamics as well um and if they're looking for classes they can look for mama dynamics academy on facebook and find out the information about classes awesome Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Joyful Courage community, you're amazing. Big thanks and love to my team, including my producer, Chris Mann at Podshaper. Be sure to join in the discussion over at the Live and Love with Joyful Courage group page, as well as the Joyful Courage business page on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts or really anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. You can view the current Joyful Courage swag over at the webpage, intention cards, bracelets, e-course offers, the membership program, one-on-one coaching. It's all waiting for you to take a look. Simply head to www.joyfulcourage.com slash yes. That's joyfulcourage.com slash Y-E-S to find more support for your conscious parenting journey. Any comments or feedback about this show or any others can be sent to Casey at joyfulcourage.com. I personally read and respond to all the emails that come my way. Reach out, take a breath, drop into your body, find the balcony seat and trust that everyone is going to be okay. Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom in Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone. 
that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.